0: Hi and welcome to another episode of Endeavors. Today I speak with director Jason Eisner on Kids vs. Aliens. That's coming up on Endeavors. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Endeavors. I apologize, it's been a couple weeks. I've been feeling a little bit under the weather, and it has made editing the show and also getting interviews just a little bit more difficult. But uh, I'm back at it now, so hopefully um, I'll be able to kick things up again. Very good show today. Uh, I speak with director Jason Eisner, who many folks may know from the cult Canadian classic Hobo with a Shotgun, Um, and he also directed a uh, a short film, was part of the anthology VHS2, which is actually how his new film Kids vs. Aliens started. It's Kind of a, a mo it's almost a modern B movie um and very much like a hobo with a shotgun uh, the title is very direct uh, you know what you're getting into um there's wrestling, there's guns, there's slime, there's gore, there's aliens there's military and it's Canadian. It's definitely got a Canadian flair to it. Uh, It's a really good film that I hope everyone checks out. This is my conversation with film director Jason Eisner. Jason Eisner, hello. How are you today? Great. Good. Good. Thanks for talking to me. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um kids versus aliens. You know, when I was when I was uh, doing some research about this, one one person postulated you really like straightforward titles. You know, you have you had Hobo with the shotgun, and now you have um um kids versus aliens. Uh, and it, it, it harkens it harkens back to to the B movies. Um, what can a what can a straightforward title say about the project?
1: Oh, I just I just totally you you, you uh, froze up for that whole question. Okay, sorry. No worries. One second. Let me just adjust something here. Yeah. Uh, all right.
0: Take two. Um, yeah. For it's funny, you know, for for kids versus aliens. Um, one thing uh, you know i was reading up about it and people were saying you like straightforward titles you know you have kids versus aliens you had hobo with a shotgun you know kind of harkens back to 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 the old b movies what how important is the title to the tone of the film that you're trying to convey
1: yeah i guess <laughs> i for me, I uh, I think I just always like straight to the point titles. Um, kind of like every title for anything I've made has kind of been uh, pretty on the nose, I guess you could say. Uh, but I feel I don't know. I just like I think it just maybe it just puts it into the spirit of like the film I'm you know the 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 vibe I'm trying to go for, and just like right off the top, you hear kids versus aliens, and it's just. I think, you know, uh, to me, it, it would like as a kid, like it would pique my interest. Like um, it just sounds loud and it sounds like, you know, it's, you know, kids are fighting aliens. Okay, <laughs> let's watch it. Uh, and I know this um,
0: project started as a spin. It was a short film in the VHS series and now it's its own film. Was that always the plan? Cause I know they did that with Siren as well. Was it always the plan to make it a feature length?
1: Um it wasn't always a plan no like at the time when I made the short film gosh it was like 10 years ago for the VHS 2 anthology um I was really inspired at the time to do like a kids like horror movie like I thought at the time that was something that hadn't really been done and like you know I thought it would be cool to like you know bring back the spirit of like movies like Monster Squad and the Goonies and the like things that just like really inspired me as a kid but like kind of bring it to a, like a present day vibe where I think like the audience can like handle something a bit more intense. Uh, so um, I always like dreamed of and tried to pitch it for like years doing a feature, like after we did that. But at the time, like in like Hollywood, every time I, t- I tried to pitch like a kid's like, you know, movie, like a horror movie or a genre movie, they were just like, you wanna make a kid's movie? like?" the guy who makes the hobo with the shotgun wants to make a kid's movie? And I'm just like, no, you don't understand. Like, I think this is, like, a genre, like, people would, like, really love. And sure enough, since, it's been proven, you know, right with, like, things like Stranger Things and, uh, like, a bunch of other, like, kind of, like, coming-of-age, you know, genre shows. So, um, yeah, like, now, you know, 10 years later, um, I was just given the opportunity, like, the... the uh, one of the guys at uh, RLJE, he, like, loved, like, one of his favorite segments from all the VHS films was my Slumber Party Alien Abduction short, and uh, he wanted, you know, wanted to see it as a feature film, and Brad Misko, is one of the producers of the VHS movies, always loved the idea of allowing me to go nuts with, like, a feature version of it, so um, it's just, yeah, it's just the stars aligned, like, you know, a year and a half ago, and it just kind of, like... conversation of it just flourished into it being Greenland like so quick
0: how how was the actual shooting process because you've you know you've got a bunch of kids soaring at each other and stabbing aliens with
1: swords um Mm. what
0: what, was it was it easy to cast or hard to cast in that sense
1: um it was hard to cast because like I'm just I was so particular and I like I really wanted to find kids that were Somewhat like their characters in a lot of ways. I was looking for real life characters to kind of like get to kind of, you know, use the kids' personalities and really like lean into them. So uh, I just had to look like all over Canada and just saw like hundreds of kids, like audition tapes. And for the most part, most of the cast, like, I was, like 80, 90% of it is from Nova Scotia, my hometown where we shot it. And it's a lot of first time um uh roles for a lot of the actors and then uh i had two actors from uh vancouver uh that i you know out of the hundreds of tapes i saw like i could like our production could bring in like you know two away performers and so um yeah just uh and, and and then once we narrowed it down like it was tough because we were making this during covid so it wasn't easy to like try and have meetings in person. So there would be a lot of Zoom meetings at first. And then once it got really narrowed down, um, the local cast uh, we were able to bring into our production office. And there I just like used my cell phone and uh, and like people around the office to just like act with these kids. And I just thrusted them into like a crazy scenario as, <laughs> as soon as they were auditioning in person, just to kind of like quickly test like, how um, like how uh, you know they could uh, you know just you know improvise in the moment and just have fun and just you know feel feel the vibe from
0: them and then you have all these first- time actors and then you have a cameo by the man who was probably the king of Nova Scotia um, Jonathan Jonathan Torrens yeah um, how did how did you get him involved?
1: well, I've known Jonathan Torrance for, gosh, I guess since like 2008 when I made my short film, uh, "Tree Venged," which is a a short film about Christmas trees fighting back on Christmas Day. And he plays this dad that has like this Pee Wee Herman obsession love of Christmas. And uh, and he's a, just a really fun character. And we've worked on Trailer Park Boys together where he plays, uh, you know, his infamous character, J-Rock. And um uh, so yeah we just like love working together and um uh i just thought he would you know he'd be great as like the dad in this movie it's a small role and like i i knew he would just like light it up you know and bring like a bunch of like special qualities to it because he's like he's such a pro he's so amazing and he's such he's so talented uh but yeah i grew up watching him on jono vision um that if uh you're from canada you would know that show it's like a like a hosted like uh talk show thing that he used to do uh at at
0: the forefront of the film is sort of sibling rivalry warring warring siblings um what what make that a a, a unique sort of plot point for you and was there anything from your own experience that that maybe helped you mm. with that
1: yeah, like, so much of, uh, you know, the shenanigans with the kids and is based on, like, my childhood. And uh, John Davies, the co-writer, me and him, we've known each other since we were five years old. And so we, you know, we went through school together, discovered our love for filmmaking together. And we used to make movies in my, like, parents' backyard and his parents' backyard, like, every, like, weekend and, you know, any day after class that we could. I would be incorporating my siblings like, you know, to get them into it. And so, yeah, it's a, you know, very much inspired by like, you know, there's literally moments on the screen that are like, 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 you know, just exactly like the things that we used to do to my siblings.
0: You know, the, the, the aliens or the, the the creatures are portrayed as quite malevolent, at least at the beginning, but, you know, you have the character of Billy and it strikes me that, maybe maybe the aliens are more misunderstood and that humans are the real um bad ones uh I don't know if there was any specific <laughs> sort of moral you were trying to examine with that
1: yeah th- that's amazing you're the, the first to pick up on that uh it's funny when we were on set um I was just like we were in the like in the set that's like the spaceship, and we were just hanging out I was hanging out in there. the kids in between a take and i forget how it came up but i was like what's if i told you guys like you guys are the bad guys (laughs) and the aliens are the good guys they it just like blew their mind they were like what like um but yeah you know it's like uh but i I also like saw it as like um it's like this progression of like you know they're the, the aliens represent like just like another like kind of part of life and like a like a quick way so it's like you've got these kids in this like coming of age way they're dealing with all these like pressures in life and and bullies you know and then all of a sudden like during a party like filled with bullies like even bigger you know bullies like show up or appear to be and uh and so yeah it's like another it's like it represents a lot of things that like i feel um you know or things that i went through during my childhood but just you know over the a crash course over the, you know, just one night. Uh, uh, yeah.
0: I, I did read that you, that there's a possibility for like a, a sequel or or a, or a spinoff.
1: That would be my dream is to be able to make another one of these. We've already got it all plotted out. There's like a, like a, you know, a beat by beat treatment that John and I like made. And um, the, yeah, like while we were making this film, we were leaving the breadcrumbs for, much bigger ideas like when we were developing this thing we really wanted to create a universe that we could play in for like multiple movies and so yeah there's a lot of like little like easter eggs that are in there that you will see if we get a chance to make you know part two you'll see those like come to life in a really fun way
0: you know a, a lot of filmmakers get their heart uh, their start in horror and then you know some stick with them and some go off and, and do other things. For you, is is doing other genres on the horizon for you, or do you think you'll always be a horror person?
1: No, oh, well, uh, I don't think so. But uh, I do love playing in the genre. I just I love high concept ideas and. Uh, and bringing, like, sincerity to, like, very, like, high-concept crazy ideas. That's just maybe where I'm at, like, now, and I have been. Uh, but, you know, I do the show Dark Side of the Ring and uh, Tales from the Terry of Tories, that, like, is a, you know, the um, Tales, or Dark, Dark Side of the Ring is, like, a, a true crime, like, documentary series, and that stuff, you know, I've always wanted to do, and that's a much more dramatic, you know, um, like, um, uh, work from me, you know, as I, I guess you could say. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I there's there's so many kinds of films I would love to make. So, uh, but I, I think I would. Uh, there's probably always, I will be like some kind of genre, like um, slant on my work.
0: You know, it's funny. We're 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 in the midst of award season right now and you know a lot of these organizations get criticized for the types of films that you know always seem to to get nominated does does genre filmmaking not get enough love from those who bestow these kinds of trophies upon people
1: it's tough um like As I have like over the past few years, I've lived in, you know, Los Angeles and got to see kind of a little bit of the inner workings of like how that stuff works. And, you know, growing up in Nova Scotia and watching award shows, I used to love it like growing up because like I was so far away from Hollywood and that was my chance to get to see directors and actors, you know, outside of the movies. Uh, But there's such big, huge campaigns that go behind, you know, getting those movies in front of. Uh, the people who would you know vote for them and it's like it takes you know millions and millions of dollars to to do something like that and not most genre movies don't have a lot of money uh, in them but you do see things like you know like everything everywhere all at once i would say like you know that's been getting nominated and you can see like there are these like genre like i can see these like influences like from the genre like in something like that so Um, but yeah, yeah, I think, you know, it's gotta be a, probably a certain kind of, uh, movie, uh, of a, of a, that has a studio backing to, to push it, uh, to, uh, to the awards.
0: (laughs) Um, and finally, you know, there's, there's so much fun stuff that, that happens in this film. Do you have a favorite moment from shooting?
1: Oh, it's a good question. A favorite moment from shooting. Gosh. Hmm. I don't, it's, I'm like, I, it's hard to pick like one moment because it was the, the whole film making it was the funnest experience I've ever had making anything. And I often say I'm like nostalgic for, waking up early and like going to like the clubhouse that the kids like have in the movie. And I would go like two hours before like the crew would show up and, and John Davies, my co-writer, he, he would come as well too. And we would just go and hang out in the clubhouse for a couple hours before everyone showed up. And, And we would just get to like hang out in there and, and just kind of daydream about the day ahead. And, uh, And so that was so cool. And that place was like that old barn with like all like the wrestling ring and the arcade machines and everything in there. It was like getting to create my own kind of, you know, dream clubhouse for like a month (laughs) for production and then just getting to hang out in it. So I, I, yeah, I wish I could just go back in a time machine and and hang out there again.
0: Well, uh, the film is kids versus aliens and it opens wide release on theaters on the man and digital on january 20th and you can find it that the streaming date on shutter will be announced soon yeah jason eiser thanks so much for your time tonight
1: yeah thank you so much thanks for having me all right cheers you too take care
0: That was my conversation with Jason Eisner. His new film, Kids vs. Aliens, is out now. My next guest, uh, you may have heard back in December, he's an Australian filmmaker named Edward Drake, uh, and he's been doing a lot of these low-budget action films. And recently he worked with Bruce Willis on the Detective Knight film, trilogy that he co-wrote with Corey Large. And back in December, uh, I interviewed him about Detective Knight Redemption, uh, which was the second film in the trilogy that came out on December the 9th. Recently, the third film in the trilogy, Detective Knight Independence, uh, was released in select theaters on VOD on January 20th, and will be followed by its release on DVD and Blu-ray on February 28th. As I I really liked his conversation, um, and I enjoyed the Detective Knight uh, redemption film, I thought I would uh, re-air Edward's interview in honor of the independence, uh, the final film in the trilogy coming out. So once again, here is me and Edward Drake.
2: what part of the world are you in
0: uh i'm in uh, victoria in canada
2: hey amazing
0: yes and i know i was gonna um yeah. ask ask about Corey because i know he's from this neck of the woods as well
2: yeah, um, yeah, yeah. he lives just around yeah he's in he's a victoria boy yeah
0: yeah him and i i mean him and i went to the same school but
2: st michael's like years of,
0: yeah i mean he's you know i only went there for four years and i was about 10 years past him but yeah so gotcha um, hey,
2: wasn't it, um who's the fo- uh, basketball that went there uh, uh, steve nash yeah that's right yeah nash. and and his his brother's also
0: uh, martin is a well-known soccer player for team canada or was yeah so, yeah
2: that's right yeah no dude there's something in the water with that school man i mean <laughs> super cool yeah. dude
0: and yeah and there's an uh, actress uh leslie hope who is a canadian yep. actress i also believe went there yep. um for a few years yeah so we we, we have a few
2: that's crazy yeah. I went to, a uh, a, a, like a, I guess like a brother school in Australia. Oh yeah. Some students that went back and forward between Victoria, some Canadian kids that came to, uh, my school in Melbourne oh, Okay, went over and, uh, yeah, you guys hazed the <laughs> shit out of them. Uh, <laughs> yep. Sounds was, about right. Yeah. But no, uh, the school I went to was a school for psychopaths. So, um, it was a, all fun. Game. <laughs> um, yeah. Speaking
0: of psychopaths, I know in uh, Detective Night Redemption, um, he you know he's the, the character is described as a psychopathic killer. Um, and I know I know that you you had kind of shot this film and and the sequel to it kind of back to back. Mm-hmm. Um, but did when you and Corey were writing it, did you like was it always going to be a trilogy and did you sort of write them back to back to back?
2: Oh, yeah, it was always a trilogy. Uh, it was always this opportunity to look at the holidays. and I uh, it's funny. I was in Vancouver uh, when I was writing them. And um, we had just through the the magic of how films come together, um, Bruce wanted to do uh, Bruce wanted to do a couple movies. We knew that there was this production model that we wanted to explore, which was shooting multiple films back to back. This is all. This is very inside baseball for anyone that's listening. So um, uh, I'll get to fun onset stories a little later. But making these movies, it was definitely this unique target opportunity to explore something that had never been done before by a studio. And so we were the first production to do a trilogy um, with this level of talent, with you know uh, certain amount of resources. In three countries um and so it was pretty cool when when we wrapped we we got the call and someone said that we made studio history by uh by pulling off these films it's pretty uh, cool
0: uh and I want to ask you about um working with Bruce because you know it was right around this time or sh- shortly you know when you're shooting shortly after you know he announced that he was retiring because he because he had aphasia um is that something you were
2: aware of when when you were shooting Uh, we were, yeah, we were aware of it, but I can't really speak too much about, uh, It's a private health metaphor and I just respect for, yeah. Um, and I'm curious, you know, we, we,
0: we mentioned him off the top, but how you, how you got hooked up with, with our our Canadian boy, Corey large, I know you two had worked together a, a little bit before, but how did that, um, partnership come to be?
2: Uh, I essentially harassed Corey into producing my first film broil and I um uh one of my best friends uh introduced me to or said you should connect with Corey. and I've been doing music videos and commercials and I remembered the reason that I moved to Los Angeles uh was to make feature films and tell these stories and there's only so many dance music videos one human being can do uh, before they do uh, stuff, <laughs> neon lights going off in your dreams. So I um, I caught up for a coffee with Corey, and he said, "What do you want to do?" When I pitched him this five million dollar idea called Ether, which was um, uh, which was a lot of fun, but he said, "Kid, there is no way." I was twenty six at the time, twenty seven. He said, "Kid, there is." Absolutely no way, me or anyone else are going to trust you with five million dollars. Um, with your first movie out of the gate, I said, Okay, well, what would you trust me with? And he said that he was really interested in this micro budget model. And I said, Okay, well, I'm going to write your film and you're going to put up $150,000 for it. And I'm going to go out and it's going to look better than any of the films that you've produced before. And he said, He's a you know, uh, he liked the ambition, I guess. And so we went, we made broil and uh. And yeah, I loved making that film so much. Uh, Brought together some of my best people who are in my life and some of my best friends today. Um, And then the rest is history. Then I think he was, yeah, he called me saying that he was out with Bruce one night and that Bruce wanted to do uh, sci-fi. And then in there on the phone, I just came up with a pitch and then I went away and I wrote uh, a movie called Anti-Life, which then became Breach. And I, yeah. That's uh then uh, I met Bruce and his team on set. Corey had a good thing going with them. They saw that I could write and communicate with Bruce um, and be cheeky, honestly. The uh, you know, my thanks to my heritage, let's just say there's a, a natural cheekiness that's in my blood. <laughs> and uh, I guess certain actors of a certain level aren't used to um, yeah honestly the just being truthful. With them. You know, that a lot of people surround are surrounded by yes men and yes women uh, in their day-to-day lives. So uh I was pretty forthright and just able to communicate um these stories and yeah, treat people like human beings. Um and you've worked
0: with Bruce a lot and you've worked with Corey a lot. I know uh Lachlan Monroe has appeared in some of your previous work. Are you one of those Not filmmakers? Enough. Um, there's
2: no movie on earth that could not be better without more lock money. <laughs> oh, he's we we love him in Canada too. Um yeah. I hear you're going to put him on a, on a Looney. <laughs> now we, that the we, queen.
0: Yeah. We should. We should, right? Um I, I'm just curious if are if you're one of those filmmakers that uh, likes to have a you know a, a like you know kind of like Adam Sandler who always has kind of a a, a a team of of collaborators working on on each of his projects are you one of those sort of filmmakers?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, the Sandler model, happy Madison, brick, creating a family of filmmakers that you can go to, uh, you know, you can grow together and live and that sort of stuff. Wes Anderson uh, included. You know, I was making music videos uh, and in the same circles as the Daniels, um, Daniel Schweinhart and Daniel Kahn. And we, I admired so much their summer camp vibe that they brought to their sets and yeah, you know, a lot of us who were coming up at the same time we all aspire to that and so we we're all working on each other's films so it's in different roles and that sort of thing and now it's the same with talent like i will always i mean i i write for uh actors i know and if they're available amazing jump in and they always know they're going to have a fun safe time and they're going to get paid on time and that's honestly uh part of uh part of the joy we always try for something as well I mean these sets are madness that you know seven eight nine ten day shoots so um but everyone knows the deal at this point and uh we we make the most of it we have fun there's no nothing to be gained by whining about not having enough days or oh my god my trailer is two inches smaller than what was promised in my contract uh I'm looking at you Lachlan Munro no I'm joking <laughs> Lachlan is the best. Honestly, Lachlan is a saint. Um, and I there will always be a, a place in my heart and on any production um, of mine for Mr. Monroe. He is one of the nicest human beings that has ever walked the face of the earth. But um, don't get me started. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm not going to even go there. I
0: uh, I wanted to ask you because I know the the first film in this series that you, uh, you shot part of it in New Mexico, and that was right after the rust incident happened and i know that kind of caused you to 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 change course a little bit um in terms of not having blanks in the guns how do you think how how did that affect you and how do you think that's going to affect these types of movies going forward
2: yeah uh the tragedy uh, that happened on rust and helena's passing is definitely a uh, the saddest wake up call that i think a lot of producers really really fucking needed because these a film set it's a lot of fun but it is a workplace and it is a dangerous workplace even before you're doing action and so these movies are being made in these kind of models where like i just hope that moving forward uh producers production service companies are taking the time to not redline every budget, like understand that like you need time. I think I just don't want to see people rushing and making the same mistake and, uh, and tragedies uh, unfolding again. And, you know, I, uh, yeah, that's all I have to say on that. It was a, a deeply, deeply sad uh, thing that happened. Um, A lot of, I have a lot of friends who are friends with Helena and her husband, and you know, she was a mother. And there's it, just, it it should not have happened. There was it, was it was absolutely in no circumstances, absolute madness that it happened. And when when we found out, um, we immediately made the decision. Just like we trusted our armourer, we trusted a um, uh, you know, gunsmith, but just for the safety and the mental health of the cast and crew. We're like, no, we can't have, unfortunately, we can't have blanks on this set because it's too close. And now can I guarantee that there wouldn't have been an accident? No, of course I couldn't have guaranteed there wouldn't be an accident, but you work with professionals and you don't rush it. And there's protocol and there's procedure and God, the only thing that I can hope I'm getting you know, choked up emotionally because it just, it didn't have to happen. It did. Uh, yeah yeah just Um, take your time don't rush these we're we're creating entertainment but my marker for a successful film is that the cast and crew are able to go home at the end of a shoot to their families uh that is what defines a successful film if it if it does well that's the gravy on top um
0: yeah You know, there's, I mean, that aside, there's, there's been a lot of other talks in the last couple of years about how much the industry needs to change, whether it's, you know, an incident like that, or, you know, the, the working hours. I know a lot of productions are going to, you know, PWN or, 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 or French hours. Um, Mm. As, as, as someone who is in charge of a production, what do you make of all, of all, of all these discussions that are happening?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's a discussion with the crews. Every crew is different. And you look, you know, the gaffer, cinematographer, the PAs, I mean, everyone has a voice. And there's a hierarchy that we need to acknowledge on these sets, but not a power structure. There's a big difference between your attitude of whether you see it as a power structure or a hierarchy. And like I was saying, man, everyone's a human being and making sure everyone gets home safe at the end of each day. That's the priority. Um, Yeah. Uh, French Owl is... I'm a big, personally, I'm a big fan of French hours. However, it's not necessarily the most cost-effective way to make an action movie because there are ways just in terms of how you uh, you can structure your departments to be working at any given time where you can, you know, you call certain departments, at different, you know, later, that sort of thing. Doesn't work the same with French hours, unfortunately. Um, but I'm a big fan of French hours. Love to work in France. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, would, on, on, i'd love to work in france and see if their french hours are really as french as canadian french hours right it's <laughs> um, a very deep cut for anyone who's working in the vancouver film yes. industry at the moment. sorry um
0: I, sometimes on sets here like they'll they'll they're now using the term pacific northwest hours which is like the yeah. same thing it's just you know um
2: yeah. you know it's pacific funny northwest hours <laughs> uh, i laughed so hard when i heard that the first mm. time i'm like guys
0: I know that a working title for this film was called Christmas Night. So, mm-hmm. do you consider Detective Night Redemption a Christmas film? Yeah, dude. <laughs> so is Die Hard. I was gonna say. I was gonna say you're you. You must be then on the train that Die Hard is a Christmas film.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yes, like if I mean, just. Uh the plots of the the plot of the film could not have gone down in the way it does without the Christmas party or go right. Christmas is integral to the plot. It's a Christmas movie.
0: Wake up. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. We, we have a, we have a, a violent uh, we have a violent Santa in this movie. And there's another movie that just came out called violent night, which also has uh, a, a a violent Santa and, um, yep. What is that? Seems to be kind of a, a "quote-unquote" trend, maybe the the last couple of years. What is it about? Uh, maybe taking these classic idea, classic characters, or classic ideas, and making them darker. What do, What do we like about that?
2: That's because culture is dead, and we are not making anything new, so we must destroy what we have. And this is how the Roman Empire fell: is when we started to disgrace the you know the quote unquote gods that we look up to. And this is the end of culture, my friend. This <laughs> is where we go to die and I am part of it.
0: How how funny was it to have a guy in a Santa suit running around with a machine gun?
2: I mean, it was kind of nuts that, so I, I wrote all the films and then I was very, I was very sneaky and cheeky with the Ricky Conlon character because his original the original version uh, an idea for Conlon um was uh closer to jack sparrow <laughs> but in a uh, a murderous eat the rich and i take that literally kind of way and um i was asked to pull that back a bit obvious reasons um but we yeah we had a lot of Yes, the answer to your question is yes. It was so much fun. We're running around the streets of Vancouver with, you know, stump men dressed as bank robbers, dressed as like murderous Santa clauses, getting the cops called on us, having the cops then ask if they can be in the movies. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I mean, it, it was, uh, it to, the, to our earlier point, it was like a, a summer camp with more murderous Santas, I hope, than your summer camp experience.
0: Uh, was there maybe a, a scene or a moment from the film from shooting that was your favorite
2: um from, from writing, just the idea of burning a Christmas tree in the middle of the city, that was something that I always wanted to pull off and just being able to protect that all the way through when budget cuts were coming in and cast wasn't available and there might be a reason a lot of those characters were wearing masks during that scene because actors' were, schedules were changing and everything. I protected that moment as much as I could. And then uh, the, final, the final moment of um, Bruce's final line uh if we're being honest probably got these movies greenlit where it was like merry christmas motherfucker i remember one uh but one studio executive was like that's the trailer right there man that's it done let's go so <laughs> so yeah uh, but i do think the burning of the christmas tree because it's such a symbol to do it pull it off in a city environment it with everything that's going on in our world in the world of the night movies it's just this uh yeah
0: what what can we expect from uh, Detective Knight Independence? Because I know that comes out in in, in about a month or so. Uh,
2: it is a it's a psychological thriller, and it's again I wanted to take the, every one of the antagonists that Bruce goes up against in these trilogies. I really studied Bruce's uh, filmography and wanted to bring new villains that he hadn't faced before as not only as, you know, uh, Bruce Willis, the actor, so that he, the performance would bring out something new, but also uh, for the for the audience. I didn't want to see another Hans Gruber, um, Although I love Hans Gruber. You cannot touch what Alan Rickman did. That's incredible. Um, oh, he was incredible and that film is incredible. But I wanted to, for this third one, uh, create an, a, a very modern antagonist that could not exist in any other point of time, but right now. And I also wanted to destigmatize the character. He's not, I think people are going to say it's Bruce Willis versus an incel, but it's, it's very, there's a lot more that's going on. And if you take the time to see what I'm, how the character is being presented and what is real and what is not and what is actually happening in his head and make the decision for yourself. And then you'll see that it's really the story of a, a confused young man who is choosing violence. Uh, as a way to enact his vision for the world, um, but I wanted to yeah deconstruct that idea within a movie that's deconstructing the idea of Bruce Willis as a as a cowboy cop. Uh,
0: and finally, quickly, what is your favorite Christmas movie?
2: Christmas Chronicles. Okay, all right. And that's because uh, yeah, someone very uh, someone very dear to me worked on them for a very long time. And I got uh, the opportunity to meet the director uh, Clay of the first one, and I, you know what, a close second is going to be the Hawkeye TV show. Okay, because there's the Home Alone's and all that sort of thing. Yes, of course they're the. I'm trying to think of things that maybe people wouldn't uh, think of right off the bat. Um, but the the Hawkeye show, it's fun man we need like to have more fun with these characters and family for like i've i've been trying to make family friendly movies for years um but the market you know people are just like here's another can you write a guns and action and explosion thing and i'm like yeah of course but can we go and make a fun christmas movie and they're like absolutely not but i love that uh i love the christmas chronicles for a lot of reasons and uh i love uh yeah, that Hawkeye, Hawkeye TV show, the filmmakers behind it, uh, the performances. It's cheeky in all the right ways. It's great. What about yourself? What's your favorite Christmas movie?
0: Well, I always go back to uh, a film called Mixed Nuts. Um, Mixed
2: nuts. Okay, I'm going to Google that right now.
0: Didn't get a lot of love, but it's got Steve Martin, uh, Adam Sandler, Rita Wilson. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. It's 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 a bit of a screwball. Yeah, yeah it's a bit of a screwball comedy they run a suicide hotline and it didn't it didn't get a lot of love when it came out but it's it I do I always just that's always one that has stuck with me because it's just it, you know I think it's it's really well done um dude I'm putting it on the list yeah, and it's Nora Ephron is the writer director so you you, you can Ooh. hardly you can hardly go wrong with a Nora Ephron movie
2: oh my god that's amazing dude and, this is, uh... yeah
0: and an Aussie actor Anthony LaPaglia is not it Anthony. Who has a yep, scene dressed where he's dressed in a Santa costume. So there we go. Amazing.
2: I mean, look, this is, I've literally just pulled it up now. Uh, it's on the list. Renting tonight.
0: All righty. Well, uh, your film is Detective Night uh, Redemption. Uh, it is out, uh, limited theaters, VOD now, I do believe. Uh, and then it is released on DVD and Blu-ray on January 17th and uh independence i believe will be released on january
2: 23rd who knows question mark <laughs> question mark yeah that's fine <laughs> dude dan thank you so much for your time thank Always you edward the canada boy thank Appreciate you it. have a good rest of your day you too thanks bye. bye and
0: that was my conversation with edward drake detective night independence it was released on january 20th and will be out on DVD and Blu-ray on February the 23rd. That does it for me today. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. Bye.